Today on Semi-Intellectual Musings, we fondly debrief our adventures in Lanark County. We unravel the good, the bad, and the ugly of the complexes of volunteerism. An amber, an IPA, and monsters? Oh my. This is the episode that will put your boots on the ground. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This is Semi-Intellectual Musings, the podcast that looks at social sciences, humanities, and arts. We do it through book reviews, we do it through article reviews, we do it through looking at novels that we've read, but we also do it through interviews, uh, like we're going to have today. It is my pleasure to have, I I think it's the second time that she's been on the show. That's right. Uh, Melanie Large uh, with us. Hi Mel. Hi Phil. Happy to be here again. Uh, this is your house as well. It is my house, yeah. That's okay, though. Yeah. I, I, for some, Okay, so I'm a little nervous. Oh, dear. I know. And this, uh, like, very rarely happens with me. <laughs> um, it's weird. I think it's because it's a weekday. Is that what it is? Well, it, it doesn't even feel like a weekday because it was a long weekend. It was a long weekend, but it was kind of like the first day back to work. Uh, yeah. We rushed all day, uh, rushed through dinner. And then kind of, I had to rush to kind of set up the room. It's getting, you know, it's not super late, but it's getting there. There's a guy cutting his grass outside. There's planes flying overhead. So uh, I think I heard somebody's radio playing too. Yeah, there's a a little party going down. Yeah. So I I think all of this is making me nervous. I don't know why. I don't think you need to be nervous. Well, I'm not, well, I'm not nervous with you. I mean. Okay. That's good. Just, okay. Just be yourself. Just uh, be true to yourself. Okay. Well, I'll try to be. You know, That's what I, Disney movies say, right? Yeah, that is what Disney movies say. I but I could never understand those Disney movies that start off like with a shitty start, and then the ending is just kind of like, well, that's kind of a shitty ending too. Just we can swear. Well, yeah, yeah, it works. Oh, yeah, okay. we can say. Do you like that? That was my takeaway from that whole thing. It, you it picked was... up on the most salient <laughs> yes, point. Yes, that of what was I definitely was like your. Yeah. Um, but Mel, we've just come back from a nice uh, long weekend uh, last weekend. That's right. Um, we took off, uh, do we consider that Southern Ontario or Central oh, Ontario? Oh, goodness, no. It, it's only one county over it is. from Ottawa County. So uh, yeah. I would say it's like Northeast, well, not Northeastern. Like Southeast? Central East? Central East. It's, it, it's about an hour and it's, a half away from Ottawa. Yeah, but it's next to the Ottawa slash Udaway River though. Yeah. So like, what do you consider Sudbury? Is that uh, Northeast? Sudbury is north, yeah, northeast, yeah. Yeah, but we were only like three hours, well, not Sudbury. I guess we were like three hours south of North Bay. Okay, uh, I don't, yeah. And Let's we just were, say north central east. So we were about an hour west of Ottawa, and uh, yeah. that would have been about three hours east of Toronto. Kind of. Kind of. But we were like north northeast. All right, so now, don't talk to somebody that does geocaching yeah, and orienteering about where things are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, we were in Lanark County, and uh, we were in Perth. Correct. Yes, we were in um, Perth. It's a kind of a sleepy little place near Ottawa, kind of like Merrickville. Yeah. This little touristy town that probably people that aren't from the area wouldn't necessarily know about, but really one of those hidden gems, as they say. It was really cute. I really enjoyed downtown yeah. Perth. That was my first time there. 
And uh, I really enjoyed Lanark. Uh, we stayed uh, at Clyde Hall. That, that's what it was called, right? Yep. Historic B&B. Gorgeous spot. It was amazing. The whole place, including the B&B, kind of had like an English colonialism. And I think we said on multiple occasions that it reminded us a lot of uh, like northern New York State. Yes. And where yep. Phil is from as well. Yep. Um, like southern Quebec, near the New York and... Vermont borders? Yep. Vermont, Plattsburgh, yeah. that area. Yep. So very like English colonial kind of feel, Scottish colonial. The China. So it, so the, the, the B&B is an old uh, historic building. Uh, I believe it was built in the 1840s, 1850s. Uh, over the course of history, it um, was left to its own devices. So looting um, occurred, fires occurred. And uh, the story that we were told was it was completely gutted. Um, and then at some point in the recent history, someone bought it, renovated it, and made it into a B&B. But the way that they renovated it was really well done. So they used all kind of, well, what appeared to be reclaimed woods. Yeah. Um, they built it in this kind of ancestral English colonial kind of atmosphere to it. Lots of antiques. But so that it won't date really quickly too. So there yeah, was like a jacuzzi yeah. tub. It was probably like going on 10 years old, but the way they did the design, it didn't look super tacky. Like it wasn't one of those pink tubs of yore or anything like that. So there was obviously an eye for the long, la like the long haul. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of tackiness. No, just the right amount, the normal B&B &B amount. I've been telling everybody, because uh, I found the B&B &B and as such, I assumed the responsibility as the booker of the B&B &B if it was weird. Because anybody that has stated B&Bs knows that the weird, awesome line can be very, very fine. And that sometimes these places, while they're definitely trying their hardest, are still people that are running a business with lots of different people coming through with different things. And yeah, but our our hosts did a phenomenal job. Like I, I I'm I'm not just saying that because we went there. Um, like we've stayed in, in several B and Bs in in our lifetime. Um, but these hosts, you know, we want they they wanted us to ask them for more. I got the impression. Yeah. Like we weren't asking enough of them. They were definitely doing a good job of meeting a new target demographic. Like they weren't just going for the over 60 set, um, yeah. which is kind of what the area makes me think of a little bit is kind yeah. of an older set because uh, there's lots of antiquing and so on. But I think they're going to do a really good job because they just, the current owners had just taken possession three months ago. That's I can't right. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that. long ago. Yeah. If you mentioned that. And um, I think they're doing a good job of going into, like, a different market because the other couple that was staying there as well was definitely in, like, their 30s or something. It was coming from a kayak trip. So they were definitely doing That's right, yeah. doing a good job. I don't know where exactly, but they were capturing kind of a new audience. And I think that's what those kinds of businesses need to do. And uh, so the male host, Robert, if I remember correctly, is uh, a chef of, of, I believe, pastry chef. Yeah, from Toronto, I believe. From Toronto. Um, his breakfasts are to die for. He makes this slow cooked maple glazed bacon, uh, delicious. And we had eggs, Benny the first morning and they accommodated Mel's, uh, no meat yep. kind of diet. Yep. With pea shoots, which I'm seeing a lot of in the last couple of weeks. I don't know if pea shoots are the new avocado or something. Maybe that time of year, maybe. I guess, but yeah, uh, yeah microgreens but, uh, are a big thing now too. Hey, you're right. I hadn't had a pea shoot or microgreen in like a year. And then, and then the last two four weeks. Four days uh, yeah. straight, I, we've had them, yeah. Yeah. But no, it was awesome. And uh, 
waffles were amazing. Yeah, waffles the on the and morning. That was the other thing. It wasn't the same breakfast both days. Yep. Um, and it wasn't like I love continental breakfast. I, they're perfect for somebody picky like me, but you kind of want a real back breakfast at a B&B and they did different breakfasts, which is nice. All around, uh, this isn't like we're not. Yeah, this isn't a paid promotion. No, they 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 don't even know we were talking about it. But um, I wanted to talk about it uh, because it was great. And the, one of the reasons why we were down there was I was meeting uh, with my thesis supervisor. Uh, Mel had had uh, you know a couple rough weeks at work, uh, kind of getting run down. So uh, she came up with a great idea. How about we just take off, uh, spend two nights out there? Uh, one of the days we both worked from there. Yeah, which was great. They were very accommodating to that. Um, it rained the whole time. So it did, yeah. we had the fortune of finding, you know, the one B&B in the area that had a pool and a hot tub and didn't get to use it the whole time. That's okay. Wah, wah, wah. You know what I'm trying to feel like this looks like is, you know, when you have a magazine, yeah. I don't know if my gentleman friends appreciate this as much, but you're looking through it and then you stumble on this section and all the products in it are like from the same company and it's like a advertorial and then at the top or at the bottom, more likely, it says, like, this part is a paid promotional advertisement. Oh, yeah. But they do it so that it looks like it's in the style of the rest of the magazine. That's right, yeah. I'm really hoping that your listeners are kind of starting to feel that way, like that they started listening to it. And then uh, they got that little disclaimer. Maybe. But, the, okay, well, it's not a paid advertisement. No. But how uh, did your meeting with the thesis supervisor Yeah, go? my meeting with the super- supervisor went uh, really well. Uh, we went down, had lunch, uh, in Perth, and then we went and had coffee together, sorted out all the business stuff, but it was also just nice to, uh, you know, relax outside of the city. Uh, it's really nice to have the opportunity to have these sorts of working meetings and that like, you know, it's not all fields that are, um, are able to do this, but, For sure, yeah. you know, um, it's summer. Um, th- what that means is we don't have to meet at the university. We don't have to go to our traditional office. We can go have a pint, have lunch, get some work done, go have a coffee, sit in a nice room somewhere. So, you know, I'm really appreciative uh, of that. And um, it was just great uh, being able to work at the, the B&B as well because they had Wi-Fi. They had lots of lounge areas. Okay, you're getting back into the... I know, I'm trying. But it, okay, you know what? I love the trip. We also went and saw orchids. We did. We went to an orchid conservation area. Now, folks, we are two, um, you know, early 30-year-olds, millennials. uh, Some would call us somewhat hipster. Some might, yeah. We went. Considering that we had microbrews in the car at the time. Yeah. Not open. Not open. We had, yeah, so we had like uh, two cases of microbrews in the car. We we stroll up to this uh, orchid conservation area. Well, we came in behind the shuttle bus from a senior's home. Yeah, a, a big old Chartwell's bus filled yep. with senior citizens. They were the nicest senior citizens. Like, they, they were, really were in nice. such a good mood. And they were. I don't know how many outings they get. Like, I know places are trying to do a better job of, like, not just cooping up seniors in their yeah. rooms and stuff. Um, but it was completely pouring. It was not a great day to go. No, it really wasn't. Like, a but lot of them had walkers and stuff, and the boardwalks were slippery, they were the happiest seniors yeah. I have ever seen. You know, I, I I was thinking about that, and I think it's because the orchid bloom rate was close to 100%. It was over 100%. I don't know how that's possible, but that's how what it How is said. that possible, over 100 like, Because we went, so I happened to find this place because I have this weird thing of whenever I go anywhere, including where I'm from, I really like looking through the tourism books and kind of just seeing what's up and getting a lay of the land. And you basically do documentary research. Basically, yeah. Yeah. So within minutes, I had sniffed all that stuff out. And then when we went out for dinner for the first night, 
I kind of compiled my findings and presented them to Phil. And she, she showed me the evidence. And happened to find upon this, I, I think it was the Mississippi Conservation Authority, and then they had three tourist attractions, yeah. um, one of which was the Purdock Conservation Area. Yeah. But I hadn't seen it before I had gone, and I had kind of done research about hikes and different sort of outdoorsy stuff we could do. So it was really surprising that I hadn't find it, found it at all and happened upon it, you know, and this relic known as a brochure. What are, What's that? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that was really cool. Um, but we were definitely, like, brought down the mean age of everybody there. Oh, to, like, for sure. I don't know, 70. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it was very niche. It was neat. It was, uh, it was a neat thing. And then we kind of went and did, like, uh, I don't know, was it maybe a kilometer? If it was a if kilometer. If it was a kilometer little kind of walk up to a lookout point uh that was nice uh, overlooked a little lake and bog area swamp area you know on uh, it's been raining non-stop like okay so today and yesterday was the first kind of days that it wasn't but it's been raining for weeks like the month of june has just been so wet so you know to get out and go for a kilometer walk was nice for sure yeah, yeah. and we had all these lofty ambitions of going on the Rideau trail yeah. which is a long trail yeah. between kingston ottawa and all this so on and so forth but I was just happy we got outside. So was I. Um, but Mel, you're not here to talk to us more about Lanark County. You're here today to talk to us, uh, I believe, about volunteerism, um, maybe a little bit about women's roles in, yeah, in volunteer organizations. Yeah, we're going to have some chats about, you know, feminism on the ground, but not with capital letters on all of those, really yeah. just kind of a conversation about when you're, you know, when you've first go to university or first leave home, wherever it is you end up, what, as somebody that's interested in feminism or any sort of ism on the left might go to at the university or in their workplace or so on, we might talk about how a couple of those things manifest. That sounds great. But can I ask you, where's Mr. Matt? Oh, uh, Matt is still on um, Papa Leave. No baby daddy yet? Uh, No, the baby hasn't arrived yet. However, I have forbidden him uh, from making the trek up to the house. Uh, it's oh, about a 45-minute nice. drive for him, and I have, uh, I'm not leaving his wife pregnant alone uh, when it could be any day. So yeah, I think, it was supposed uh, to be like a week ago yeah, now, Yeah, it was supposed right? to be a week ago. I think the uh, upper limit was somewhere around July 1st. Um, Which was two days ago, three days ago. Three days ago. So, you know, it could be happening right now. Could be. Um, we should be his first text as his podcast friends. Well, if if that does happen, uh, you know, I'm going to call him and we're going to record that live. Live. Live uh, birth. Well, w- it, people won't hear it live, but we're going to record it live if that happens. I I don't know if it will. Can we not do that? Yeah. Um, okay. Before we continue on that or talk more about Matt's baby, uh, I'm going to tell everyone how they can reach us. You can reach us on Twitter at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. You can email us at semiintellectual at gmail.com. Our website with the archives is thesim.podbean.com. That's thesim.podbean.com. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, and we have a Facebook page, and that is at thesimpod, all one word. Please give us uh, some ratings, some reviews, leave us some comments on the page, like our page, uh, and we will be back uh, after a short break. I'm the soul challenger, I'm the real damage. Now behold the cold and the straight magical. Cause the sky brings flies in a strong road. The heroes built out in a path and a parent. Pray on the power and pray to 
Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Semi Intellectual Musings here. Uh, I'm Philip Primo and I'm joined by Melanie Large. Today we will be talking about volunteerism. We'll be talking about devoting one's time to uh, not for profits or basically not being paid. Uh, but before we get into it, uh, Mel uh, is on the show for a very particular reason. Yeah, so Matt, Phil, and I uh, have had a number of discussions about some of my sort of volunteer background. Um, which, to say the least, is extensive. Well, thanks. It would take a little while for me to go through the whole thing. I won't lie. Yeah, don't. Uh, if you want to give us a whole rundown list, no, no, but... I won't. I won't. Okay. I won't bore people. I, I already know I'm awesome. I don't need to uh, put it on audio. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I, I, it's always been a part of my life. I guess would be the biggest thing, and that I've. I cannot remember a time where I haven't spent like at least five hours a week doing something that wasn't necessarily in my own interest or for getting paid. Um, so started in high school. Last time I was on the program, on the program, look at you yeah, guys, on the podcast. Yeah, on the podcast. Yeah. I mentioned that I was in this program in high school and we had to do over 200 hours of community service. Which um, is a lot of hours. It's a lot. So that's kind of where I came from. Uh, you know, I've worked at earlier centers. I've worked at, you know, special events, festivals, um, you know, community libraries, feminist centers at universities. I've acted in plays to raise funds, um, shout out to the Vagina Monologues, whoop, whoop. yeah, and uh, all sorts of, from the big to the small, uh, if you think of it, I've probably at least dabbled in it, and I guess most recently, as I've mentioned previously, I'm a Girl Guides volunteer, and that's kind of, uh, I'm, at, I'm at the point where I want to do something more stable, kind of a week to week, although it ends up being more than once a week, yeah, for sure. I know all about that. Um. But yeah, so that's where I'm at now. Now, uh, I do want to just point out uh, that you've done volunteering, I think, from all the different levels. So from organizing to manning tables uh, to, you know, raising money to... Putting up posters. Yeah. Uh, speaking at events, uh, chairing panel discussions, uh, soliciting donations, trying to get sponsors... The, the kind of gamut of Some I've done more than others. Some yeah. I enjoy more than others. Right, yeah. Um, okay, we're going to get into that, and uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you some questions about that. But um, by way of uh, um, intro to this episode okay. uh, and why uh, we kind of wanted to talk about it was besides some Besides me being awesome. Besides you being awesome. Okay. Uh, was some of my more recent work, and I've talked about, with you about it and with Matt about it, has been around resilience uh, one of the things that I'm uh, starting to look at is uh, the chief resilient officer. So it's this kind of, yeah, this kind of new subject that emerges. Um, so I was listening to a podcast called uh, Green Connections Radio with Joan Michelson. And on that show, they had on the uh, chief resilient officer from El Paso, Texas, Nicole Farini. Um, you know, Nicole talked a lot about you know, what she does on a day to day, how they're planning uh, resilience in El Paso, et cetera. But there's two points that I found uh, salient for our discussion of volunteerism. The first point was Nicole talks about the concept of boots on the ground approach to public consultations. And um, the way that she framed it was most, uh, or not most, but often the, when we think public consultations, we think surveys and more and more we think social media outreach. So she was advocating for a boots on the ground approach. So I thought that was kind of interesting as a concept. 
The second thing that she uh, was talking about was woman volunteerism, and she offered career tips to women who aspire to work locally and make an impact. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. The, the idea that, um, you know, you, your volunteer is a career, but also doing it locally. And she left us with this quote, get involved, get engaged, and you'll find yourself in a place you didn't expect. So, mm. you know, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a, it's a big one. It's a lofty one. It's, it's an interesting one. It definitely makes you think the more that you hear it, the more that you read it. Yeah. Um, for sure. So to kick us off, Mel, uh, I want to set aside for the moment, the virtue of volunteering. So I want to set aside the virtue and ethics of volunteering. And I want to come back to that boots on the ground approach. And I want, I want your thoughts on how we volunteer. What are the pragmatic kind of stuff behind it? Okay. So you mentioned boots on the ground. It's a really interesting expression. I think what it evokes for me initially is really a door knocking sort of thought. That's what it makes me think of right away. I think so, yeah. Um, and it definitely also evokes like a getting your hands dirty. Yeah. Like yep. you said, being literally on the ground. So when you say boots on the ground, I imagine somebody with a clipboard, um, maybe not necessarily soliciting for dollars, but for spreading the word. Um, getting people engaged, but face to face. That's right. Yeah. I think um, in opposition to boots on the ground, we could see things like um, social media outreach. Like slacktivism? Kind yeah. Of? Yeah. Okay. What does it make you think of, though? Do you have that same sort of feeling? Like that canvassing I do. I, sort of vibe? You know, the fir- when I was listening to it, one of the things that came to mind was uh, my days doing politics. Um, yeah, that's how it makes me feel, too. Like volunteering for political parties and trying to get people elected. And it was really, you know, that's... The, the famous picture of Obama with his feet up on the desk and the soles of his shoes worn out from hitting the pavement right. was, the, was the, what they're trying to depict in that, in that famous, I think it was on Time Magazine. Um, so when she said that, I, I went, hmm, you know, is that really what well, volunteering? Well, that's the thing. Like, what it also makes me think of is, and these people for the most part are paid, but not all of them is the people, again, with clipboards in, like, city centers and stuff that are trying to solicit donations for -for not-for-profits, particularly international ones. Now, they're paid, uh, but that's really what it makes me think of. Whereas it should, I guess the, you know, the lateral sort of thing that it should make us think of would be, you know, getting signatures for a petition, um, which isn't necessarily raising funds, and people that are getting signatures generally shouldn't be getting paid while they're doing it. Right. Um, and, you know, trying to get action from a government. Again, it, it keeps coming back to sort of that political sphere. Yeah. And uh, I don't I don't think we're totally off. Uh, you know, these uh, CROs, these chief resilient officers do work collaboratively with elected officials. So they probably have experience doing that sort of outreach to the community. And that's probably how they envision change also is working within a system where the best way to get change is by submitting a petition or emailing a local member of legislature or parliament or what have you, council, so on, um, and to write a bill or a motion or something like that. And that might be how they envision change. Because it seems, ba- I, I don't want to speak for you, but based on your research so far, that it's definitely a bureaucratic mechanism. Yeah, yeah. But let's, um, 
let me riff a little bit off about what uh, what you just said about envisioning change. And I think where you're going with that is, uh, well, two things I could think of. One of them is working within a system uh, right. to have impact, to have uh, some sort of effect. But I think the, the more salient point is um, the difference between policy and action. Okay. And um, in the volunteer environment, in the sphere of volunteerism, do you find that there's a distinction between the two? Or do you find, you know, in your experiences of volunteering, uh, is it policy first or is it action first? Or do they go hand in hand? Or, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, I would say that policy is somewhat inevitable, uh, especially when you're volunteering in an institutional sort of setting. Uh, You mentioned aspiring women, women who are aspiring to, you know, work locally or have an impact on their communities. And I guess what that made me think of in my own experience and a lot of my peers given that there are large numbers of women entering post-secondary systems more and more. Um, I think we're up to 60% of persons attending post-secondary institutions are women. Uh, So they're going to be looking for ways to make that change. And locally tends to be at the university level. I don't want to say exclusively, but it often will be because that's the place where they spend the most of their time. So that's the local to them in a lot of ways uh, without getting into the Union local aspect, which is something I think yeah, we're going to engage with. Yeah, I think that's another discussion. Yeah, uh, for sure. Unionism. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the volunteer opportunities for women, whether it's for, you know, a feminist cause or environmentalism, or it's even just doing sort of social activities, that's a form of volunteering. Is Absolutely, it a form of yeah. activism? Perhaps not. Um, but I'm sure there's people that would argue with me on that point. Um, but in terms of the sort of boots on the ground aspect, uh, you know, you're going to at the university level, at the college level, and even within some workplaces, if you're volunteering on certain committees or so on, a lot of what you're doing in my experience and from what I've heard from others is really like sitting at tables, right? um, baking stuff, painting banners, wandering around, maybe trying to do one-on-ones with people. So there is that kind of canvassing aspect, um, but there is a lot of downtime in volunteering. uh, And there isn't necessarily a lot of seeing the impact that you have. Um, Like, I think of the 150 for 150 that's happening in Canada right now, and I don't know how widely advertised it's been. Can you give us uh, two sentences? What what is that? Yeah, so uh, a big thing this year in Canada is... The sesquin- sesquicentennial, I think that's Sesqu- what it is. Yeah, I'm uh, the 150th anniversary of Confederation. Yes. Um, another discussion for another time, but it's something that's being celebrated by certain people, and uh, yeah. So, one volunteer organization in Ottawa, I believe, which is the capital of Canada, uh, coordinated 100 and, uh, 150 for 150. So they're challenging everybody in Canada to do 150 volunteer hours to celebrate the 150th, which I think is actually really cool. Um, but a lot of the images, and I just looked at their website again today, um, is, you know, of people digging up community gardens, yeah, sitting with elderly people, um, 
Yeah, well, stuff I, like that. Like very lots of outdoor shots. Okay. Um interfacing with vulnerable sectors. So people of different skin colors working together, lots of very feel good images, which is awesome. Um but I would say that my experience is that those smiling images, uh those hands in the dirt at the community garden really forms the minimal part of volunteering. Yeah. What you're doing most of the time for the community garden is filling out bylaw forms and contacting sponsors and trying to get people to show up on the days that they're actually supposed to be there and trying to get the building that you coordinated this with to actually provide the sawdust or whatever they were supposed to provide. There's a lot more of that. So I've always had sort of a mixed feeling about selling volunteerism this way that uh, this individual from El Paso is and even how 150 for 150 is. So we've been relatively politically correct so far, but we're going, we've been doing doing a good job, but I I think uh, we need to kind of, uh, we need to shed that a little bit. So um, you're right. When we see images uh, of those feel good moments working with vulnerable populations, um, in my experience, that is minority of time that you actually do that. You're right. hundred percent. Most of those volunteer posts are administrative posts. Uh, you could call them set up, tear down and think uh, kind of, you know, things. So uh, set up this activity, uh, tear it down and then think of the next one. Yeah, the, it's really, you know, like a festivals or yeah. run for whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then the little bit of time in between where you're actually serving um, the population that you're dealing with, generally what happens is that the event gets co-opted in a certain way. Uh, yeah. Media presence, which yeah. means that they're not going to see the administrative side. No. Um, or, you know, in my experience, you have the mayor come and then it becomes a mayor's event. So the work that you've put in is to set the stage for someone else's benefit. Right, so, and you can't control that messaging. So the no. messaging that you might have wanted to have, that on-the-ground sort of thing, as little as you can actually do in the space of an event, you're no longer sort of in control of it because you're at the mercy of whatever funding body or political entity that, like Phil said, shows up. Yeah, and, you know, uh, a lot of these not-for-profit organizations, let's just stick with that theme for a second, uh, need to stick their 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 neck out. It's a, you know, it's For a sure. come see me, come look at me sort of exercise. And I get that. That's fine. They need funding. They need to have the mayor there to get, uh, you know, visibility. Right. And I would even just sort of, as a public service announcement, say that most of the organizations, if they have two staff members, that's a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it is very volunteer driven, but you see so much burnout because of exactly the things Phil's describing. So because there's only one or two staff members that get paid about $40,000 a year, top end, um, that's where this messaging really gets co-opted. Yeah. So I think uh, there, so my next set of questions for you. um, Yeah. uh, That I've actually prepared something, I know. Uh, Get out. (laughs) Get out. Uh, So my next set of questions have to do with um, a difference between the discourse of volunteerism. So how volunteerism is portrayed, a little bit about, you know, Picking up on what you were talking about, you know, the salesmanship behind it, Sales but also the, the what? Salespersonship? Sales. sales per- we're being politically correct, remember? Well. Individuals selling the thing. Sure. Okay, your question. Peddling, 
peddling volunteers. I think peddling is like also not politically correct. No, it's not. Oh, okay. No, that's cool. All right. So trying to sell volunteerism, um, trying to sell certain things. And the book that kind of comes to my mind is The Rebel Cell. Uh, the book that kind of looks at how uh, left-leaning or, um, you know, sort of uh, movements uh, can get co-opted by uh, basically capitalist uh, powers or capitalist tensions. Um, and really what we're talking about here are things like the green movement, uh, yeah. environmentalism. Um, more and more I'm seeing uh, these drives being co-opted. Uh, so like... Uh, Raising funds, uh, you know, we have big corporations that get on board. And Are you try kind to of referring that. to greenwashing? A Green, little bit? yeah, greenwashing like is where one an of them. organization or an inst- like a for-profit organization, like Oil Sands or something, is trying to yeah, their that's image part a of it by participating uh, in that's part of it. I, okay. I don't, I don't want to call it too many companies here by name, but um, I'm going to refer to one. So, uh, well, actually, two um, that I've had experience with, but I'm not going to call them by by name. So when we start raising money, for example, to buy uh, books for certain populations through um, a corporate entity like a store, uh, there's repercussions that happen, right? But the one that I want to talk about is those sorts of companies that collect money like uh, the ones that sell coffee, for example, that collect money for certain uh, charities. Where is the aspect of volunteering? Like... When we, when we think about the question of how to volunteer and the ways in which these organizations are getting their money is through donations, are these eliminating the possibilities for people like you and I to get involved in those charities? And to get in our those, boots on the ground. To get our boots on the ground. When, when, you know, there is no ground other than the corporate kind of ground that is running those charities. I guess that's more of the, the, the direction that I want to take the, the discussion. Okay. And I think that's a really interesting direction. I don't think we're going to solve no, some of I don't those think so either. questions in the next half hour. But I think that, like, I, I used the word slacktivism earlier, which is something that has really been applied primarily to, you know, I guess the big classic example now is Coney 2012. Right, yeah. Um, where you just said that you were attending an event and then, like, at the actual day, I think nothing actually happened. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. there was a whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think that slacktivism has existed long before that. Um, and I don't have an academic knowledge of, you know, the kind of the discourse analysis of that term, but I think it's existed, you know, ever since you went to a checkout of any store and yeah, got yeah. asked for money, like what you're saying, yeah. um, because you're absolutely right. Like you get to write your name on the piece of paper that they put on the window, but you're no longer participating in it. Um, you're not actually volunteering, as it were. You're contributing to a cause. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's definitely something interesting there. Because it seems like uh, the donation based of uh, involvement uh, has taken precedence over the community boots on the ground, hands to hands approach. Well, it's easy. It's easy. It's easy because somebody else is doing the work. Yeah. And it's going to be an institution because they can actually afford to pay or sorry, not an institution, like a for-profit corporation or something in a lot of these cases, because they actually can pay somebody sitting in an office in downtown Toronto or L.A. or whatever um, to do the management of a program and do it effectively because that person's salary is a tax write-off, most right. likely. Yeah. So they can yeah. actually 
solicit the donations from their customers. Their customers feel good that they're contributing to whatever X cause. They get a write-off, and they probably still contribute in a negative way towards whatever they're trying to mon- raise money for yeah, yeah. most of the time yeah. without naming any names. Yeah. And for sure that lo- eliminates a lot of positions because why would I donate, you know, a hundred bucks to a local charity so that I can pay somebody's pitiful salary when I can do an instant donation of a dollar or two dollars on my grocery bill because, you know, like a lot of other social ills, you know, that we have in our you know, North American, Western society. The fast way is the best way because we're all so busy. The classic line, I don't have time. So the yeah. time is added to my bill and I don't have to think about it anymore. Right. Um, okay. We're, 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 I, I want to move us to uh, another point. Um, I want your thoughts on within this climate, um, how are volunteers treated? You see, um, any shifts or changes, or do you have any experiences with uh, how organizations, collectives, et cetera, um, treat their volunteers? I think that that's a really difficult question to answer. Um, I would just want to clarify that when we say volunteers, for the purpose of this whole discussion, not just the answer to this question, we mean, you know, somebody that's helping without getting, you know, compensation in return. Yeah. And generally it's going to be for, you know, uh, socially bent organization like a food bank or whatever that's not otherwise making profit yeah um, but, you know it could also be uh towards like a little local reading group for example for sure you know getting yeah. people together to uh, teach them how to read or that kind of right. stuff but then that reading group itself isn't making money no or anything, no kind yeah. of thing yeah um yeah so i think generally volunteers and i think that even in the last 10 years since i've sort of been a volunteer with a capital v um, there's a lot of appreciation given towards volunteers. There's a lot of, you know, stats that I see published in, you know, kind of news or newsletters that I'm on about how important volunteerism is, what age groups volunteer versus those that don't, um, you know, and so on. So when you say treatment, I think generally volunteers are treated well. Um, I think that there is a positive outlook. I think that, you know, things like the 150 for 150, that's not the first sort of incentive-based program that there ever was. And there really isn't a big incentive for it anyway. It's more to show how we're such a great country. It's not really about, I think there might be a draw, okay. but there's not anything that you're really getting out of it. Other it's than, about uh, nationalism, patriotism. All know. the good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, for the most part, I've seen volunteerism sort of sold as resume enhancer for lots of young people like yeah. millennials that can't get jobs absolutely they're yeah. invited to go volunteer um and so on um so i think that the view of the volunteer is positive um i think that maybe i don't again i can't trace the entire history of volunteerism but i know that the national year of the volunteer was like 2001 or 2002 or something and that was a worldwide sort of okay. phenomenon i don't remember that um yeah i remember because my mom had like a vest or something from it and i recently saw it oh, okay. um so kind of cool um yeah and i i guess because i only got older from that point and only got more involved since then it feels like there's a correlation right right um but i think that there's could yeah. have been an awareness uh, raising awareness sort of thing a, uh, event yeah. yeah um 
Yeah, so, but to actually answer your question instead of rambling about things, um, but I know that's part of the Rambling is fine. Charm, yeah. yeah. Uh, is, I think the issue is more with how the volunteer treats the organization than the other way. Oh, uh, uh, what do you mean? So, um, in general, uh, like not just in volunteering, but I think in work and a lot of spheres, there's an alarming amount of absenteeism. So there's a lot of, I'm going to show up for this event and I never go. Um, right. Same okay. thing with like social interactions. And I'm as guilty as this as anybody. Um, and there's definitely like in my case and in the cases of a lot of people, like social anxiety at play, other sort of yeah. pressures. And I totally get that. Yeah. Um, but there's stuff like at the office, wherever it is you work, half the people that RSVP to the meeting not showing up. Um, events that you go to where there's been like a ton of work put into it and half the people that bought tickets don't show up, right, stuff right. like that. Lots of ghosting. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, even the invention or the popularization of the term there ghosting yeah. and like seeing things in a feed. Like I saw one about how ghosting is the nice way of leaving a party now. So you show up and then you uh, just leave. Yeah. So people like, I don't know. Yeah, Anyways. I don't know. Um, so I would say that the issue is more, there's a lot of, and I've seen this in the last 10 years and it's not any one organization. Um, I want to say that university students are worse for it, but they're not. They're just no, as bad no. as any other age group is signing up and never being seen again, which if it's just putting your name on a mailing list, doesn't cause a lot of harm. But in organizations where money from the operating budget of the organization actually goes towards doing like a police a police background check, um, reference checks, so that those people that are working and that might be getting paid but might not are actually using operational money to do something and then you're never seen from again. Um, chronic absenteeism, again, from basic trainings you know people want to be involved but in a lot of ways there's a more of an attraction towards some of the more one-off events so the run or the walk for whatever disease kind of thing where there's one of them a year you show up you wear your t-shirt that you can then get to wear camping the next year and you go and you do your thing and it's a one day and that is totally valid yeah that yeah. is a hundred percent a valid way and an awesome way of contributing to society but it's not exactly the most lasting sometimes. And it's not where this sort of boots on the ground idea that we initiated with is necessarily going to come from. So that's the only reason yeah. I bring it up. Well, I think you bring up uh, several good points. Uh, the first kind of point that comes to my mind, uh, I'm going to use the word retention. Mm -hmm. um, now you've come at it from how the volunteer treats the organization, which is probably level of commitment. Yeah, and I think it's a two-way thing. I think that organizations could do a better job yeah. of marketing their own benefits and of grasping the volunteer when they can. And some are definitely better than others. Yeah. Yeah. And so th th that's the line that I want to, that, that I want to kind of ask you about. So like, um, does a volunteer need a personal benefit, um, to feel engaged with the organization, uh, in a more lasting way? Like how do, like, basically how do we create that bond between organizations that need volunteers and vol and, you know, individuals who wish to, uh, you know, spend some of their time, non-renumerated time uh, in the community. But then the flip side to that is also, you know, how do, how do we uh, convince individuals to get engaged with those organizations? Because it's not going to be all the organizations that have the capacity to offer 
those personal benefits, those perks, those nice to haves, right? That will keep people coming back year after year or whatever. So, you know, it's like you said, it's a two-way street, but how do we actually do that? Like, what are, what are some of your thoughts on it? Because I'm sure that you've thought of little things that both sides could do. I think those are amazing questions. Uh, and I guess my initial reaction is a bit of, quite frankly, some resentment because I don't think that there should be a benefit in like a tangible benefit. I think that even the whole resume padding thing, um, like while in my case, like was essential to where I am now, was essential to some of the jobs I've gotten that volunteering in high school and in my late teens, early twenties was very important. I don't know if it's necessarily the point like I, yeah, yeah. and again, I'm not trying to be condescending and no, I'm not trying no, to say no, that no. there's better ways of volunteering than others, but like in my personal case, something that was really important to me when, um, we first moved to Quebec, um, and our previous house was, I really wanted to get to know the community cause I wasn't from there. I didn't know anybody. And how that manifested for me was that I wanted to go out and volunteer with youth, you know, wherever I could, um, and whatever organization I was needed. And it was actually hard. Yeah, I it was that. not easy. Yeah. So I'm, you know, in my mid twenties. I can do most evenings and weekends. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, you would think what somebody is looking for. Yeah, you're part I have of that target audience. Other professional skills that I can offer, like editorial skills or, or communications or management or whatever. Um, but actually, getting into those positions was a challenge. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that stems from. Again, this sort of top-down problem where there's no paid coordination at the top, so then all the top coordination is volunteers. And then because the volunteers aren't necessarily feeling valued or they're not feeling that, they're, uh, that their efforts are being recognized or paying off. And sometimes that can be that, you know, you're the head of X organization in, you know, in Elmer, Quebec or something, and you have one of these big fundraisers where you sell out of your bowling night or whatever and then nobody shows up. So then you feel really disappointed in your efforts. So then when people are contacting you to volunteer, you're not really seeing necessarily the benefits. So I think that the benefits in that way exist but need to feed one another and that it's a very cyclical thing. Yeah. Um, and I, so, uh, you know, I would say that you have kind of those material and non-material gains from volunteering. And when it takes a lot of effort to get involved in an organization, both of those dwindle. You know, there's some sort of calculation that we can have, right? That says, you know, I'm eager, I'm ready, I'm willing, but the more effort that this takes of me to get involved, the less eager, willing, uh, and able I, I become. Something like that, Well, right? and you hear a lot about burnout in, you know, not necessarily in volunteerism. We hear about it more in uh, burnout of activists or burnout of people that are advocating for certain causes, which has an yeah. intersection with community oh, of volunteering, course, yeah. for sure. Um, and again, in my own personal case, like I was offered, in spite of some of my initial challenges in getting in, implicated, once my skills were recognized and once, you know, I was able to actually meet with a living, breathing person and not an email, which is not a comment on them or me, just kind of how things work now. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I almost got, uh, like, in a way, got over-implicated because I was so needed. Like, they so needed a warm body that 
I needed to be there or else the whole thing was going to crumble. And this right, is honestly right. something that has happened again in the last 10 years of my life repeatedly because there is a lot of that chronic people sign up and they don't come. So then it becomes one person. And I know something that I've often felt frustrated about, especially when I've been more in leadership roles is like, I feel like I have to do all of the hats that I have to do all of the little parts because the odds of somebody not coming are so high. Right. And that engagement piece, the people on the ground or the people sitting behind the computer at their houses until one in the morning before they go to work at their actual job at six, um, they they don't have time to think about how to engage new volunteers. They don't have time to retain. They don't have yeah. those kind of resources. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's it just seems to be a real disconnect. And I don't have an answer for how to, uh, you know, rectify that situation. But when we see a trend towards, you know, grocery store donations and things like that, I absolutely get it. I absolutely see like that feel good of that doing that thing or, or, you know, going to a couple running fundraisers and just soliciting donations from your family is so much easier. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think um, we can be critical uh, of these sort of things and we can have our critiques of it, but uh, I think we can also recognize that uh, almost everyone is stretched pretty thin Um, and, you know, overextending ourselves to volunteers probably pretty low on the list for, for some people. For other people, volunteering is probably way up on the list. So that's one of the things that they get to first, and then there's something else that drops off. Um, I want to leave us, uh, we have only a couple minutes left, but I want to leave us on a positive turn. Yay! So um, that quote that I read from Nicole Farini Uh, Get involved, get engaged, and you'll find yourself in a place you didn't expect. I think, um, you know, it's a lofty sort of thing. Uh, Embedded in there, there are some of the virtues of volunteering. I think, um, you know, the the turn of phrase, you'll find yourself in a place that you didn't expect, kind of resonates with me a little bit, that you can learn something through volunteering, uh, that you can, um, you know, discover sure. certain aspects that you didn't know of yourself and of your community and of others and for it, sure. Um, so would you like to share an example if you have one, um, of finding yourself in a place that you didn't expect, uh, while you're volunteering or, you know, working with an organization, um, that was volunteer based. Wow. Such a good question. It's one of those things that you always think of all these benefits in a really abstract way, but to think of an example is so tricky. But I think that what really comes to mind is I've usually preferred working with people not necessarily my exact same age as I'm consistently getting older during that time thing. Yeah, that's how math and uh, calendars work. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I know. Um, But yeah, like youth is generally the age group that I've been the most comfortable with traditionally um, and most Recently, when we've moved uh, last year uh, to a different area, there just weren't as many opportunities in my community to volunteer with more teenaged type folks. So like uh, kind of like the 12 to 17 range? Yeah, kind of like the junior high plus yeah, age. Yeah. Um, I just find that um, because I'm not like I'm usually, I don't know, like a decade older than them or so. So we still have some common ground, but I have 
a level of authority over them, but they don't think of me as their mom. Right. You want to be kind of like their pal. Yeah, yeah. Like their big bro. Like I'm right. hip. I'm cool with the kids. You're down. LOL. The... Laugh out. Like, yeah. Okay. LMF. Yeah. No. I don't Whatever. think we say that anymore. Uh, yeah. But basically I was put in a situation where it was either I was not volunteering or I was going to volunteer with younger uh, kids. So originally I was going to be with five to eight aged, okay. which for me was majorly out of my comfort zone. I remember you. Uh, I, yeah. yeah. And uh, like I, I can barely, that. you know, interact with other adults. Um, and for some reason I just find it so challenging to get along with kids. Like I just don't find that I have a lot of common ground, but I guess when things really started to turn around was there was an event um, for national mental health awareness day. And my group that I'm with wasn't doing anything. I'm like my girl guy group for that particular day, or I just happened to be free. And I volunteered at an event and um, it was all ages, but particularly younger kids. Um, and I was like running a station and I was laughing so much. And like, I remember my jaws actually hurt. And like, I was ex- trying yeah. to like explain like mental health, like using this really overextended metaphor of they had to balance a bucket on their feet. Right. I remember and that. And then activity, I would yeah. add like tennis balls to the bucket. Yeah. And I would say like, this tennis ball is like a test. And I remember like, I would have like a five-year-old being like i don't take tests yeah and i i just was like oh um what like bothers you i don't know (laughs) or like yeah what makes you sad and then when i would put it in those terms it was like well my brother you know takes my toys or like i don't like it when i have to change the channel and i wanted to be like yeah those are the things that stress you out when you're five it's true that's yeah um and just like kind of having those conversations and almost having that like human element really made a big difference. So that when I eventually did get placed with a group that was 9 to 11, so it was kind of like just before my target group, um, but they're still kind of, they still kind of want a parent. Like yeah. they don't want the big sister yet. They Not still yet. want the mom. Yeah. And they kind of are looking for that supervision, but want a little bit of Need leash. a little bit of handholding. But they yeah. can still carry a conversation, and I guess and the they best... can poop on their own. Yeah, you hope. So you're not, point. you know, not that young that you know you have to potty yeah. train. But we won't get started on talking about you. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what that means, but okay, can please continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then I guess like the biggest, most rewarding thing was when I was on a hike with uh, this, you know, nine to eleven group, and. I just had this super long conversation with a couple of them about Harry Potter and it was almost like an interview. So who's your favorite character? Who's your favorite professor? What's your favorite class? Like what was your favorite plot arc? Like I swear, like legit. That's amazing. Um, And it's like, I was their age when I was reading those books. Like they were actually coming right, out. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like all about those human connections and all that good abstract stuff. Yeah. So um, if I had to kind of, um, you know, condense uh, a couple of things that you've said. I think finding the place that you didn't expect is also finding words that matter. So to yourself and to um, those that you're volunteering with, but it's also finding uh, something that makes you smile. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's where it's so important. I mean, we kind of shit all over a little bit at the beginning, the quote about the boots on the ground, 
But I think it is really important to leave the space where you're filling out the grant application to actually go smile because your computer doesn't smile. No, no. Filling in those abstract uh, spreadsheets about expenditures and whatever probably doesn't make you smile. I mean, it might. It might. And that's cool. But chances are face-to-face interaction will make you smile maybe a bit more, a bit differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Aww. see, uh, see that that was kind of a, a positive How kind do of we do ending. That? How, how do we end up? Well, you know, I think remaining positive about volunteering is a good start. For sure. Uh, even though we can be recognizant of its uh, problems. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything else to to tell us? That was really nice. It was great. Really, thank you for coming on the show, Mel. My pleasure. Uh, do you have anything else to to add before we we wrap up? I would just um, recommended reading if you're interested in this sort of discussion about some of the nature of volunteerism and especially some of the discussions that Phil led us through near the middle about the role of corporations. I would highly recommend Pink Ribbons Incorporated. Uh, It's a book that's also a documentary. Uh, Really interesting about the breast cancer research industry. Um, in the United States, not exactly the Canadian context or other contexts, but it provides a really interesting view. And I would especially recommend the documentary because you get to see that intersection of where it is people, you know, um, that just want to make a difference and the challenges they face and sort of some of the things that Phil asked me about in terms of retention and, you know, feeling encouraged to continue um, really come up in that. So I'd highly recommend that. And uh, I'm going to talk about it, but I don't know if it's directly related because it was in one of our shared files on Dropbox, but um, I think it's called The Revolution Will Be Televised. No, The Revolution Will Not Be Funded. Right. Um, It's an edited collection. It's a series of essays. Um, It's about, oh my goodness, what is, I think it's about the nonprofit industrial complex. Yes, because I, I think I it, it correct, goes yeah. off of the prison industrial complex. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. Um, and talks about like again some of the themes that we've touched on, but in more academic ease and in more concrete yeah. terms. Yeah. Um, but some of the reasons that the frustrations that I'm sharing to you as you know a soldier on the ground sort yeah. of thing, yeah. where they come from, and kind of the manifestations in the 21st century, and some of these things we talk about daily pressures of not being able to volunteer. This kind of traces from more academic perspective, some of that. Yeah. And I think it, you know, I think there's another whole discussion to be had about, um, you know, that, that sector, the not-for-profit and the volunteer sector. Sure. Um, I think what, what I really wanted to, to, to kind of hash out with you and to hear you talk about was, um, like you said, being a soldier, uh, getting the work done, what and how it gets done. So it was, it was kind of, it was really interesting for me to hear you talk about, you know, the mundaneness of volunteering. Um, and it's in those little moments that you find yourself yeah. smiling with your clientele, but really the majority of the time you're doing mundane stuff. And a lo- something that came to mind immediately was, and that the work often doesn't get done yeah. and learning to live with that. Like yeah. If you wanted to take a flip side of being somewhere I didn't expect, it was having to come to terms with like, things don't always work out. Like that can actually be really challenging. Yeah, it can be. Um, but but going into it knowing that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I had down, uh, give us some tips, Mel. I wasn't going to ask you, but I think you just gave us probably the best tip. I predicted uh, it. You pred- well, because we think alike. Uh, again, thank you, Mel. My uh, pleasure as Really always. engaging. 
Um, I'm going to let everyone know if you have questions, comments, concerns, or considerations for Mel or for myself, uh, here's where you can get into contact with us. We are on Twitter at the underscore SIM underscore POD. You can email us at semiintellectual at gmail.com. Our website that includes the archive of the show is thesim.podbean.com. We have a Facebook page at the simpod, all one word. We are on iTunes, we are on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, we're on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, give us some ratings, uh, give us some reviews. Do it! It really, really helps the show. Um, soon we're going to be starting a mailbag uh, where we're going to be answering some of your questions. We're starting to get uh, a few of them. So if you want to be first in line for your question uh, on air, send us an email, tweet at us, send us a message on Facebook. Uh, we're going to come back with some recommendations after this short break. Hey everyone, uh, Mel and Phil here. Uh, hey, yeah. hey, we're gonna do some recommendations. Mel, awesome. uh, last time you were on the show, you had some great, great recommendations for us. Uh, what are you bringing us this time? Well, perhaps unsurprisingly, I'm bringing a book. Well, a couple books again. So that's what this thing is all about. Well, books, um, book books, reading? books, literature, the published world, the yeah. everyday world. Yeah. So recommend away. What books do you got for us? All right. So I uh, picked up this series, I guess. Well, it only has two in it. Um, I think it's called a duology, which is a word I did not know existed. So Um, instead of a trilogy, it's a duology? Apparently. Not a sequel. Well, that's the thing. But I guess it's like intended that it's two. Like it was always going to be two. The sequel imply that there could not have been one. Right. So the sequel is like an afterthought for number two. No, not in this case, but in some cases. Right. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't make the rules. Duology. I just read the books. Yeah. So it's, uh, the first one was called This Savage Song, um, and it's by Victoria Schwab. Um, and it was basically a book that was sent to me uh, for me to write a review, and it's not the kind of book I would normally read at all. So? so it's a it's actually now that there's a second book which is called Our Dark Duet or Duet I don't know how you would say that um, Americans might say Duet um, I think I would say Duet I see I would say Duet but I think it's a French thing oh anyways uh yeah so it's called the Monsters of Verity duology or series or whatever we're calling it this got way too complicated and technical um and it's about basically a version of the future but like a really close future like not even five years kind of thing um where there was what was called the phenomenon and basically it was that there were three types of monsters born out of crimes um so the first type was the corsi and they were born out of violent crimes so they're like shapeless monsters that are in like subway tunnels and dark alleys and stuff so they would be formed through like shooting like non-fatal shootings or like um i don't know violent crime assault Okay. Kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the next kind was, and they're not, they're shapeless and they don't have like conscious thought. The next one is a Malkai and they're formed from murders. Um, and basically they're vampires, but less cliched 
Um, and with both of these types of monsters, there's a very real possibility of it just falling into a monster genre, but it doesn't at all, which is amazing. And, like, they're vampire-esque, but, like, they can go out in the day and stuff. And Interesting. They're kind of badasses and run corporations and stuff. And then the third kind is called the Sunai. And basically they are born out of, like, heinous crimes, like massacres, usually. Okay. Um, and they reap souls. So their job isn't just to, like, create more violence like the other two monsters. Their job is they can identify sinners and they take the souls of sinners. So anybody that has created one of the other kinds, the Sunai destroy. Kind of like the, the cleanup. Yeah, they're kind of like Dark Angels a little bit. Right. Um, So good. Like, the book starts off with a girl burning down a, a chapel at her school. Like, Wow. And it starts with, like, when Kate burned down the chapel, she wasn't drunk. She was just desperate or something. She just like, kind of hits you in the face. Yeah, it's just, like, so good. And I would highly recommend it. Um, again, totally not into the horror genre at all. Like, I'm not even really into the vampire, like, kind of supernatural sort of idea, but I loved it. So who's that by again? Uh, Victoria Schwab. And that's the Monsters of Verity. Yeah. So the first one is our, whoa. The Savage Song. This Savage Song and then Our Dark Duet. And Our Dark Duet. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. So good. Um, And it's young adult, like most of the things I like, but highly recommend. Uh, I have something that you could possibly consume while reading those books. And I have um, consumed while reading them, in fact. So uh, continuing from our intro discussion about our recent trip, I'm going to recommend two beers from the Perth Brewery. Um, the first one, uh, if you if you know anything about Phil and beer, uh, this isn't going to come as a surprise, but I'm going to recommend the Easy Amber. Um you know, I'm nodding my head. It's a 5%, 20 IBU, uh, deep red colored, uh, just overall, just a nice amber beer. You know, it's not, it doesn't have anything too special about it, but it doesn't have anything that you don't want. It's just when you want an amber, that's, it's everything you need, but you didn't know that you really see. Uh, but the second one, the second one is like that opening uh, sentence in that book. It's called Hopside IPA. It's a five and a half. 52 IBU. Is that a lot? Uh, it's getting up there. Yeah. 52, and the IBU uh, is the hop scale. Uh, so it's an American style IPA. It is crisp. Uh, it is full flavored. Uh, it has some hits, um, well, hits or hints uh, of citrus um, in it. Uh, I've had it with burger. I've had it with um, a, a vegetable wrap. I've had it with a chicken wrap. Had it with fries. I've had it just sitting outside and it tasted a bit different each time. So it pairs That's up. That's a good claim to fame. It pairs up really well with food. Uh, I, I All would, food, apparently. Mo- yeah. I, I haven't had it with fish. Or ice cream. Uh, haven't had it with ice cream. No. Uh, I could see it going well with fish. Lately, I've uh, when I want a fish and chips, I'll do a Miss Coca detour. Uh, if I want something to be paired up with uh, some sort of fish. Uh, on the plate. Uh, but this uh, Hopside IPA pairs up really well beef, uh, chicken, or just nice. a veg meal. So all around good IPA that might it's coming close to being my seasonal winner. Ooh. And in a couple episodes, uh, probably at the end of August, I'm going to um, do a top five uh, IPAs, top five beers of the summer. Most of them are going to be IPAs. You should have all of your guests, guests do like a... Uh... Their beer of the summer, too. Oh, that's a really good idea. And then you could have, like, a appreciation for all of your super awesome guests. 
uh, and if I happen to be one of them, that's cool. We're probably going to have you back on before the end of August. What? So yeah, surprise. Baby daddy. Baby daddy, Matt and his kid. All right. We got to wrap this thing up. Uh, I got to keep his chair warm. You do. So keep, keep keeping your, keep, keep. Uh, keep keeping on. Keep keeping on. Yeah. Or something. I like that. That's what the kids say. You can reach us on Twitter at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. You can email us at semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website, which includes the archives of the show, is thesim.podbean.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page that is at the simpod, all one word. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play. Uh, leave us some ratings. Leave us some reviews. Tell us what your favorite beer of the season has been. And uh, most likely we'll read it on air. Sounds awesome. So thank you for listening to us, folks. Really appreciate it. And, Thanks, folks. Uh, see you all next time. All the lights